Tonight, as we continue in our teaching through the Bible, um, tonight's message is on the, the Song of Songs, or the Song of Solomon. Depends on what translation that you would have. You know, here's a, a book of poetry. It's about eight chapters. It's stuck kind of smack dab in the middle. You know, if you're just kind of flipping through, you'd probably flip over it. But it's an interesting book because it, it kind of flows completely prophetically and completely poetically. Um, not, not like any other book. You know, it's, it's a Hebrew idiom, which is similar to Holy of Holies or King of Kings. So Song of Songs, it means that it's the greatest. So as we talk about God being the Holy of Holies, that He's the greatest God. As we talk about Jesus being the King of Kings, He's, He's the greatest King. So this is considered the greatest song or the greatest poet piece of poetry you know as we we look at this you know some say it's Solomon writing it some say that it you know it's talking about Solomon you know he's considered you know the wisest man apart from Jesus so it this is considered part of the wisdom books in the Bible and you know it goes on to describe a relationship. You know, as it goes in, it first addresses a woman. So most of the context of this poet or this poem is written from a woman's perspective. And it she's talking about her lover. She's talking about her first love. You know, and she's talking about her desire for him. And then he chimes in and he's talking about his desire for her. You know, and it states that they're engaged to be married and they're madly in love with each other. And it addresses her as the beloved. Now, some say that Solomon didn't write this because the fact that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, that he really did not have this type of passion and love for any one woman. So unless he wrote this when he was a very, very young man, and then it was brought around as part of, you know, wisdom or poetry that this is why it's felt that they're not sure that Solomon wrote it, considering he was frequenting so many different women's beds on a regular basis. Because the way that this poem is written, it's written as two people that were madly in love with each other and did not ever want to be separated. So it's odd you know, that it would be specifically from Solomon. However, it could be. They're not 100% sure. You know, but one thing that is for sure is that they are deeply in love with each other. So this young woman delights in her her man, you know, and she references him as a young shepherd. You know, so there's all these different terminologies that are getting thrown in there as we've been talking in the past weeks about the shepherd, but also now is getting thrown in the beloved you know, and they cannot wait to be together. You know, and this this poetry kind of flows back and forth between her and him, and it, they're just kind of stating how much they can't wait to be together, and they express their love for each other. See, the main theme of this book is, you know, to influence their desire that they have for each other. 
And, you know, as this book progresses, you see her longing for him. You know, in Proverbs 4.23, it says, Guard our heart for everything out of it flows. You know, and so often, you know, we, we allow our hearts to wander. I know for me, before I got Jesus in my life, you know, it was a mess in there. You know, the, the first girl that I had in my life, you know, because of my brokenness and my lust and my codependency that we instantly crossed a lot of boundaries and, and we were together. And I think within the first six months of my relationship with her, I hated her guts. But it took me another three and a half years to finally break up with her as, as well as addiction and alcoholism to finally give me enough strength to part ways because of desire and lust. You know, that when these things grab us, you know, whether it's an addiction or just this internal desire, you know, that it it grabs a hold of us with such this fierce grip that it's hard for us to let go of people that we have fallen in love with. You know, many of us still today have resentments against our first loves. And here we are going into new relationships after new relationships and another relationship and another relationship. But yet there's a piece of our heart that still belongs to another. You know, and I believe, you know, for me, that the relationships that I had after my first love never really worked out because I was always keeping barriers up to the next ones because I didn't want them into my heart. Because I didn't want to feel broken. I didn't want to feel vulnerable. I didn't want to allow them the control over me the way that she had. However, it's the love of a woman that finally broke me to the point where I had to surrender. And I needed Jesus to come in and heal me because I had no way to turn off the pain that was on the inside. You know, as this progresses, we see them get separated. You know, and so maybe this is Solomon, that he's had his first love and now he's off to his next wife or a concubine, but he's missing for some apparent reason. And she's hunting for him and she's looking for him and her desire grows as she longs for him, as she's wandering through the city around every corner. Is that him? Is that him? And then they would finally come together and that they would, you know, have this intense desire and it would escalate and then you know, that chapter or that part of the the poem would be over. And how often have I been in intense relationships where I've desired and, and chased after something and then things would escalate into lust, relationship, addiction, fill in the blank. You know, as we embrace these things, you know, and we just allow them to wreak havoc in us, they have so much control over us, you know. And we would say that, no, I don't care. You know, you know, there's a, a suggestion that it's thrown around that we should stay out of relationships for a year, you know, when we're getting saved or getting sober so that we can develop our relationship with God so that things don't get in the way. Now, you won't really find that written anywhere, but it's just experience and it's wisdom that the people that continue to jump into relationships have a hard time building a relationship with God and, and don't work on 
the things that continue to trip them up and they're just dragging all their baggage from the last relationship into the next relationship and the cycle continues that we we don't know how to have relationships apart from sex because for most of us we've never done it you know there was a class that I once took that it was called relating mating and dating and I was like what is this crazy Christian corny stuff and as the, the teacher was teaching the class, you know, he's saying that we should relate to a person and then date a person before we ever try to mate with a person. And I'm like, that's completely backwards from anything that I've ever done. Usually I'm having sex with them before I ever know who they really are. And then as I try to, to relate with them, I realize that I don't want anything to do with dating them. And I'm on to the next. And every once in a while, one kind of sticks around and deals with my dysfunction as I deal with hers. And then we, I guess you'd consider it dating, but I think it's just tolerance. And I think it's just the, the codependency that I don't want to be alone. So I, I tolerate things and as long as I'm under the influence and the sex is good then we'll just see how long this lasts and ride this thing till it burns out but maybe I'm the only one that does crazy things like that there's a lot of laughter in the back of the room so I guess somebody's listening to me anyway passion and desire when they grip our emotions they normally lead us in the wrong direction Now, if we give that same passion and desire to God, that he can turn it into a zealous heart for his kingdom and and what he has. But even a zealous heart without wisdom can create pain and destruction. So a lot of times, you know, we see people, you know, they run straight ahead like they're all about getting sober. They're all about recovery. They're all about Jesus. They're all about it. But they're running a sprint in a marathon and they get burned out really quickly and then they say, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, and then we find excuses of why it's not working. We find excuses of why it's not, you know, this isn't for me. We find excuses of why, you know, this isn't happening the way I think it should. Because lo and behold, I've been trying to do this my way and I just try to throw some Jesus on it. You know, and so often we pray things and when God doesn't answer him in, in our time frame, we help him. And the more we try to help Jesus, you know, we're just inflicting our own will upon ourselves once again, and pain and destruction comes. Now, this just doesn't happen in, in relationships. It doesn't just happen with lust. It can happen with, you know, money. It can happen in other types of, you know, situations that we're, you know, trying to race ahead to get educated or get money or get back into a relationship. So this common theme gets woven into other areas of our lives when we don't have proper context to put things in Jesus' hands. You know, that as we trust him in everything that we do, he, he begins to guide our steps. You know, I've seen in my own life as, you know, I've been praying for a wife and, and got frustrated it's really just my Christian lust that I, I, I just want to get married real fast so that I can have sex. 
But in reality, as I continue to release this to God, he begins to show me that, Tom, there's more stuff that you need to work on before you're ready for that. Because even though that can be a great thing and that is a good thing, and a man who finds a wife finds a good thing, finds a treasure, you know, as the Bible says, if my character isn't ready, then I'll destroy something that is good. You know, because of desire, because of lust. You know, so it's important that we we realize that God wants to bring some guardrails into our situation and bring us back under control as we surrender ourselves and surrender ourselves to his word and say, you know what, I'm going to try to, to live this way. You know, and at first it, it seems like, you know, people are trying to control us or God's trying to control us. But, you know, as we study it, we realize that he's trying to keep us away from painful things. You know, many people look at the Ten Commandments as, you know, God's law. But if you really kind of study that out, it's God trying to protect us from, you know, painful things. You know, that he's always has our best interest in mind. Because of this book and the content and the raciness of this, that it was considered that, you know, children couldn't read it. It wasn't until they'd reached an age of maturity that they would even study this. Now, these are the same kids by five years old that had most of the Old Testament memorized because they would be studying it day in and day out, that they considered God's word very important, but they felt that this could open up somebody's mind in such a way that it was important for them to not have these types of focuses, these types of desires too soon. You know, you know, that these desires, these attractions, you know, spiral us out of control when we just let them run. Now, I know for me that I, I've struggled with lust. I've struggled with perversion for many, many years, you know, until Jesus began to come into the equation. And I realized that that's not the way I want to think. That's not the way I want to carry myself. That's not the way that I want to be. And I began to pray a lot for God to renew my mind, take my depression, take my anxiety, take my lust, take my perversion, help me to look at women in a different way. Because of the way I grew up and what I saw, that I never saw marriages that ever worked. So I didn't think they worked. So I didn't want to get married. You know, both of my parents were married and divorced three times. And I just saw the destruction of that, and I didn't want anything to do with it. However, as I came into the church, you know, I came into the church very skeptical, and I would see, you know, relationships, and this one's been married for 20 years, and this one's been married for 30, and this one's been married for 50, and I'm like, yeah, right. Because I was so broken and so skeptical, I didn't believe that the, the covenant of marriage could actually work because of the way that I've grown up. But as I've been in the church for over a decade now, I see how marriage is the foundation of the church because it's a representation of what Jesus does, and that's love. You know, in the end of this book, you know, it goes into a warning because her lover is nowhere to be found. And she's sitting there with this desire, this lust, and can't find fulfillment for it. And it says, don't awaken love too soon. Now, I can only speak for myself, but I've learned that a lot of us have 
had a love awakened too soon. You know, my first interaction with sex is I got molested as a little kid. You know, I've learned that a lot of us have had similar situations happen to us. But even if we didn't, most of us were getting into relationships as teenagers. Very few of us in this room got married as virgins. So what do we do now? You know, that love has been awakened. You know, and it's it's wreaked havoc in my life. And some of the conversations that I've had with some of you, I, I know how lust has wreaked havoc in your lives as well. You know, <clears throat> that she's writing a conclusion, you know, at eight, you know, eight, six through 14, it says, love is strong as death. Its passions are as severe as the grave. It flashes like a fire, a divine flame that many waters cannot extinguish. Love is a river that sweeps everything away. If one was given to this house, give one's house of wealth for love, he would utterly be scorned. See, this, this poem is identifying the power and the intensity of love or lust. You know, and I know for me that I've never loved that way. Because love and lust were separate. That I've never understood love until I got to Jesus. That every relationship was strictly about my needs being met, my desires being met, and how I was going to get that need met through another human being. Because the context of sin had gone so deep in me that it has done this very thing, that it's been as powerful as death, that, you know, I've thought of suicide after a breakup, that it consumed me, that I wanted them dead, that it was more powerful than anything, that that, that rejection and that abandonment as love gets ripped out of our lives creates this wound in us that's hard to repair. You know, that it sweeps everything away. You know, how many times have I thrown things away because I didn't get my way in a relationship? You know, that it's destroying me. But one thing that I'm, I'm seeing in this text, because it's talking about that love is stronger than death, that its passions are greater than the grave. That it flashes like a, a divine fire. And as I read just that part of this, what comes to mind is that Jesus' love was greater than death in the grave. The power of the Holy Spirit is a divine fire that comes and begins to heal me from the inside out. That my desires begin to change. That Jesus is the only thing that can bring satisfaction to this. That that living water is the only thing that can put that fire of lust out. Now I've watched and worked with many people as I've worked through my own junk and had to pray and and wrestle with lustful desires and, and ask Jesus into these situations over and over and over and over and it feels like it's this fire is never going to go out. 
but yet he's still the only answer that can come into this situation and renew my mind and heal my heart and set my pathways back upon his so that I can live as a godly man, not being led by my flesh in every situation. You know that it says how beautiful and dangerous is love. It's like a fire. That it can destroy people if it's abused or it gives life if it's protected. You know, if we didn't have fire, those of us that live in New York State that love winter so much, (laughs) we would have a hard time. So if we didn't learn how to control fire, we would not be able to survive the cold winter nights. And there's times when we're lonely and it feels cold and it feels like we've been abandoned. You know, many of us, as we come into recovery or we come to Jesus, we come broken and alone. You know, some of us come in relationships and some of us have marriages and some of us, you know, are are trying to figure out as we go. But I, I came broken and alone. You know, and I had to bring Jesus into that place in my heart where my desire became for Him. And as my desire grew for Him, that my desire for sin began to change. Love is is one of these things that transcends and it's a mystery. You know, they can't really explain it. You know, they can't quantify it. So it's one of these things that, you know, science, you know, and has a hard time with because you can't measure it. It's an emotion, but it's more than an emotion. It's a dedication. You know, it's a respect. So as we, we learn to grow with love, what is it really? You know, this book is kind of saying that love is a, a gift from God. You know, those of us that have loved, it has been amazing. But when that love is ripped away from us, there isn't anything worse. You know, as this this book is is talking about love and sex, you know, and it is this poetic dance in the middle of the Bible. And it's like, well, why is the Bible talking about sex like this? Well, there's been a lot of people that have kind of digested this far better than I. But what I can find is that there's kind of three main interpretations. You know, the Jewish traditions say that the woman in this poem is Israel. And the man is God. So their love is a symbol of the covenant that was made by God in Israel at Mount Sinai. As he gave him the Torah. Or he gave them the Torah. However, we struggle with this because... You know, God has always been close, but yet in their sin, God kind of backed up. You know, but this theme is kind of transferred over into the Christian belief system. And that we find that there's inspiration through Paul's writing. But it's that Christ is the woman and the church is the man. So that we're the bride of Christ. So that... You know, his love for us is the same as a, a as a husband's love for his wife. 
you know, and as we look at that through Ecclesiastes and through an Ephesians, that a, that a husband's supposed to lay his life down and love and to serve his wife. And so often, it's the other way around. <clears throat> because Christ first loved us, that he came and got us in our darkest and, and, and broken places. And he began to, to love us enough to begin to guide us. Now, as I worked through my process, you know, I had a sexual addiction. You know, and every time that I would try to attempt to get sober, it was always a relationship that was sexually motivated that would create a lot of crazy emotions in my brain. And then when that relationship didn't work out, neither did my sobriety. You know, and when I first came to the church in 2005, you know, I was fresh off a relapse, you know, and I was willing to, to give church a shot. You know, and um, as I was coming to church, I got into a new relationship, but I hid it from the Christians that were in my life because I didn't want them to know what I was doing. And one day, she woke up in my bed and she's like, are we going to church? And I'm like, deflected the question and pretended like I didn't hear it and kept it moving. And within a week of that decision, I was back in the bar sniffing coke off the back of a toilet seat because I knew that I just rejected Jesus because of my sin. And now I'm not just running from myself and my craziness between my ears. I'm allowing lust to lead me away from the thing that wants to change my life, and that's Jesus Christ. You know, and because of that decision and because it was her fault, <laughs> I had to break up with her and send her on her way. Because I could not be accountable for my own actions. That's unheard of. I always have to make excuses and twist things and lie and make, you know, the blame shift so I can keep on the delusion that I can continue to do what I want to do. And then that led me into having a relationship with two different girls at the same time that didn't know that the other one existed. And the crazy lust continued. And I remember so many times that there would be such anxiety as I'm trying to get one out so the other one was on its way. And lo and behold, by God's grace, they never met each other. But I will say this. God's funny. It was January 2006. I'm higher in a kite, been up for days. And God spoke to me loud and clear. So the next woman that I had sex with was going to have my child. And I haven't had sex since. That the fear of the Lord came with such power. Then in the midst of my sin, in the midst of my addiction, in the midst of being high, in the midst of being away from church, in the midst of rejecting Jesus, he came and got me. His love for us goes beyond anything that we could potentially ever do wrong. And so often we make the rules greater than Jesus. That Jesus can only operate just like this. So you need to behave first before Jesus can move. And that's not true. 
Because none of us were saved that way. He came and got us in the midst of our sin and said, there's a better way, let's do it this way. And at first we reject it because we're it's, it's unnatural, it's not normal, it's completely opposite than anything that we've ever been doing because we've let our flesh, we let our desire, we let our lust, we let our passion, we let our addictions lead the path. So here comes Jesus in the midst of that, showing us a love that we can never, never earn. We could never earn it. And yet we get on our feet a little bit, and then we go through the motions trying to show Jesus how much we're doing good. When in reality, we're not doing good. We need Him more and more each day. The more we learn about Him, the more of the revelation of our need for Him and how much we can't do it. But yet we still try. And it's the basic human heart problem. That I can do this without you, Jesus, in your name. That I can be a good Christian. That I can behave myself apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. And I remember the fear of the Lord came on me. And I was so scared that literally the next woman that I would have sex with would have my child. That even though I was still partying and going to the bar and being around the same activities, that I had such a fear in me that if I actually had sex, that that woman is going to be impregnated. And now that's God's promise. That someday I will have a wife and the next woman that I sleep with will have my child. That in my sin I received God's promise as God's threats. That so often we hear Him, but we are in our junk and we don't understand the context of his love that's trying to come into our lives and saying, Tom, I have something better for you. I have something better for you. Do it my way. But we don't know how to do it his way. And until we fall in love with Jesus, we still wrestle with him. Trying to do our own way and then we ask him to come in at the last minute to save the day. And I'll do it my way a little bit more, and then, oh, this isn't working. Come on, Jesus, come on. Let's fix this. And he has a completely different plan. That his love for us wants to come into every broken nook and cranny in our heart, in our mind, in our lives, and say, if you let me lead, I'll show you a different life that has goes beyond your greatest imagination. It still, it still took me four more months to get sober. April 2006 was probably one of the craziest months I've ever had in my entire life. It's a miracle I didn't die. It's a miracle I didn't end up in jail, and it's a miracle that other people didn't die. There's some pretty crazy stories. And I remember the day that I decided that I was going to surrender my life and do whatever it took just to get sober, but I knew that I couldn't do it apart from Jesus. And I showed back up in, you know, AA meeting that Friday night, and I showed back up into church that that Sunday morning. And what I did not realize and did not plan is that Sunday was Easter Sunday. So the day that I got sober, the day that I laid my addiction down, was the day that we celebrate Christ's death for us. And that situation in my life destroyed me. 
It was so overwhelming that God's grand schemes of things, that he came and got this broken sinner on the day that he laid his life down, or the day that we celebrate that, is the day that I laid down my addictions once and for all. Now I will say that there was a mental battle for many weeks. As that that mindset wants to creep back in. And I had to convince myself over and over and over again that that's not what I wanted to do. That just because we decide that today's the day that I'm repenting of my lust, that all of a sudden the lust disappears. Because that's not true. Now Jesus can come in in a moment, even though I I made a declaration that I wasn't going to have sex, that doesn't mean that my mind was cleared up. It still took prayers and confession and other people's prayers and having people lay hands on me and have other people speak the truth into me that began to slowly renew the craziness in my mind because I'd never lived the way that Christ asked us to live. So I can't expect that the billion thoughts that I've had about sex in my life that are instantly going to go away just because I decided today's the day I'm going to repent because there's painful decisions that have, have painful things that have happened because of my decision. My mind needs to get renewed. I need to be bringing every thought back to the obedience of Christ. I need to recognize the enemy, how he tries to hand things back to me and rebuke him, tell him to get behind me. I need to resist him and submit myself to God and eventually the enemy begins to leave because he realizes that he can't get me in that way. Well, what about this, Tom? And what about that, Tom? We each have our own story that we got to walk out. But I know for me that when I decided that I was ready for Jesus to move, he showed up because my heart was ready to really let Jesus move. Now, I got sober in the tattoo shop. I got sober with chicks hitting on me every day, asking me to hang out with them. I stayed pure through all of that. The crazy thing is I just made a subscription to Maximum and Playboy weeks before I got saved. For two years, those magazines showed up to my house every month. And it, they would show up in the mailbox and I'd throw them in the recycle bin. I couldn't open them. So whatever temptations and whatever excuses that we make, when we really want Jesus, it all gets washed away. Well, I have a phone. I have a computer. I have this. I have that. You don't understand. I don't understand, but he does. And when we're ready, finally ready, and we decide that we will do whatever it takes to chase Jesus, things begin to shift in our lives. Why can I say that? Because I've done whatever it takes for sin. I've burned every bridge. I've exhausted everything to chase after my desire. So that same tenacity that lies in me, if I can shift that gear over into Jesus' hand, there is something inside of me that knows how to chase something. And I need to learn how to chase Jesus the same way I chase sin. I'm not saying it's easy. Because the enemy is going to bring a million roadblocks. Our flesh is going to tell us that it's a great idea if we go the opposite direction. That Jesus doesn't have our best interest in mind. And it's not true. But the only thing that can change our hearts, as we read in Ezekiel, it takes a heart of stone into a heart of flesh, not by our action, but because of his name. That Ezekiel is declaring that 
about Jesus, that when we begin to claim Jesus over our situations, and we ask Jesus into the situation over and over and over, he begins to heal and restore and bring back into order what was chaos. That it's so important that we realize that we can't do it. If it's left up to me and, and my restraint, my self-will, well, self-will is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. But it's also a fruit. It comes from the tree, which is the tree, which is the vine, which is Christ. So if I'm not growing with Christ, that fruit won't emerge. And so often we try to white-knuckle our sin, and at some point it gets too much, too intense, and we say, I can't do it anymore. And we give in to the things that we're trying to be free from. That we see that this is this ancient love story that's been depicted through the entire Bible. That even as far as lust is concerned, that Christ can redeem and change and transform us. You know, that it was easier... I think for me to put down addictions as an alcohol and cocaine and various other drugs than it was sex. Because sex is this thing that's wired into every single one of us. That even those that haven't had it, think about it. Especially these days when it's broadcast across the TV, every second, every commercial, every episode of everything has sex interwoven in it. That the stuff that we watch on regular TV today, 50 years ago, would have been considered porn. However, even though that there's this natural desire to have it, that it still needs to have restraint. Because if we do not put fire in its proper context, that it will completely destroy our lives. And that we have to put our sexual desire in Christ's hand and say, God, I need you to change my mind and my heart about this issue. And as we allow him to come into those areas and begin to shift and change and, and reform and transform our minds and our hearts, that it begins to be adjusted and our mind is less perverted. And all of a sudden we want to do it Christ's way instead of our way and things come back to natural order. <clears throat> You know, that we see this imagery. You know, all through this poem, it's talking about the gardens. You know, as they're wandering through the gardens. You know, and, it, and some say that it's symbolism of the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve were wandering around naked, and that they were vulnerable before God, and that there was no sin now, if we really think about it in a hypothetical standpoint, but if we were to do things God's way from the beginning, there would be no STDs. You know, that our actions have created disease on this earth. But God can restore. God can heal. So as we bring these things back before God, that he can begin to heal us and renew us, that we can be naked and vulnerable before God, and then he begins to heal us through his love. You know that 
Love is this gift that's given to us. You know, that we read about it in Romans 8, that He loved us before we ever knew Him. But it's His love, it's His love that He laid down His life for us. You know, and that we read it as the Pharisees are trying to mess with Jesus. They ask Him what the greatest commandment is, and He says love. To love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. But most of us don't know how to love. We just know how to lust. So the first thing that we need to do is grow in this relationship with Jesus and learn who He really is. Not just that He laid down His life for us. Not that we we celebrate our salvation through His death. That we get Christmas presents. Like if that's the context that we know Jesus, we're missing something. That we need to get to know Him and why He did what He did for us. That if we were the only person on the planet, He still would have done it. He would have done it for you. He would have done it for me. That His love for us, that He was willing to sacrifice His life. That that screws us up when we really focus on it. That I don't want to continue in the areas of sin that he, He wants to set me free of. And as we, we work on this relationship with God and we learn that He loves us. So many of us think, oh yeah, I'm saved and yeah, He loves you. But you don't know how bad I am. So the fact that God loves me is really a hard thing to digest. You know, especially when we come across Scripture that says the Father's love. Most of us have father wounds. So when we hear Scripture and, and songs that talks about the Father's love, we're like, eh. I'm just barely digesting Jesus. Get that Father stuff away from me. But yet there's this, there's this healing power that comes when we begin to forgive our biological fathers and begin to address God as our Father. That Jesus said that He's my Abba Father, that He's my Daddy. And it was really the, the symbol of a child gro- you know, crawling up into his Daddy's lap. That many of us didn't have that. Some of us did, but many of us didn't. So as we grow in our relationship with Jesus and learn how much He loves us, that we find our identity in that love, and that we begin to love ourselves, that we stop making the same risky decisions that we've been making our entire lives, that we bring ourselves back to Jesus and say, you know what, Jesus, I want You to transform me. I want to be a different man. I want to be a different woman. I want to be who You're calling me to be. I want to be who You created me to be. And it's when that love begins to consume us, that we begin to take care of ourselves and love ourselves, that we begin to be able to love our neighbors as ourselves. Because so many of us, if we were to love our neighbor as we loved ourselves, our neighbors would be dead. Because we don't care for ourselves very much. But it's only through God that we're able to learn to love ourselves, for some of us, for the very first time. You know, I can only speak for me, but my childhood was so crazy that I didn't know what loving myself was. I was so depressed and so broken and so angry that I just wanted to escape. And I used every last thing to, to accomplish that. And it never worked. The only thing that helped me escape the pain is Christ's love. So I don't know where some of you are at, but all of us need to, some more healing. All of us need to grow with Jesus. All of us need to understand His love just a little bit more.
No matter how much we've read, no matter how much we've studied, there's still areas of our lives that need to be adjusted to His way, not ours. You know, some of us are getting some of these things under control. Some of us are still struggling with it. Guess what? It's part of this. He loves us anyway. That His love breaks off the shame. So often we feel shame for our actions and it continues the cycle. That why can't I do the things that I want to do? Why can't I stop doing the things that I don't want to do? I have this sin nature and the condemnation that comes from that continues the cycle around and around. That we read in Romans 8 that there is no condemnation in Christ because the blood of Jesus has washed those sins away. So if we're still struggling with the sins that we've committed, we need to bring that stuff to Jesus. And if the enemy is trying to bring condemnation, we need to remind the enemy what Jesus has done for us over and over and over again until we actually believe it. Because so often we might say those things, but then he tricks us right back into it and around and around we go. So I just want to encourage you, no matter where you're at in this, there's a little bit more to grow. And if you're really struggling in this, then you're right where you're needed to be tonight. Because His love is the only thing that can begin to heal these broken areas in our lives and in our minds. It's the only thing that can transform our, our lustful desires. Would you just bow your heads with me? Lord, I just thank You so much. I thank You for all that You're doing in our lives, Lord. Sex is always the, the greatest fun topic to talk about in church, Lord. And I just I know that You are moving in this room tonight, Lord. I just pray that there would be a healing power that begins to move in the men and women's hearts this evening, even including myself, Lord. I don't have it all figured out. I still struggle at times, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that You come and begin to renew our minds. How the enemy has, has planted seeds in us, Lord, and used relationships and use TV and use pornography, Lord, that, that create this imagery in our heads, Lord. I pray that you would begin to, to break these things off from us, Lord. Help us to come before you as broken kids and, and asking you to heal us through your love. Lord, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would begin to break off depression that is rooted in our actions, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would break off anxiety, the fears, that we may never be in a relationship because of all the pain that we've caused, or we may not be able to get our relationships back because of the pain that we've caused, Lord. I just ask that You would break off that anxiety right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, that You would really begin to give us peace, peace from our past mistakes and peace in our future. Lord, help us to just rest in who You are, Lord, that You loved us far before we ever knew that You were real. Lord, that you would reach into our situations right now and begin to change us, begin to adjust us, begin to put us back upon your path, Lord. Help us to know that we didn't miss it, Lord. That you are a big God and that you want to move in our situations, Lord. Some of us that are older, that haven't been married, Lord, that, that if that's your will, Lord, I pray that those things would begin to align. Lord, some of us that are younger, that are still struggling, Lord, that aren't ready to be married, Lord, that you would give us that patience, Lord, and trust that You have something greater in store for us than what the world tries to offer us, Lord. Lord, I pray for the marriages in this room that You would bring healing to their hearts and to their minds and to their relationship, Lord. I pray that You would begin to move. 
in these situations that you would bring your testimonies, that you would bring your glory into these situations that the enemy has tried to wreak havoc and destroy, Lord. In every one of our lives, Lord, that you would begin to move in powerful ways, Lord, that we would no longer allow our desires or the enemy to make our decisions, Lord, that we would come before you as desperate as we've chased sin, that we would chase after you, that we would get into your word, that we would stand before you in prayer, that we would put on worship until those things pass, Lord, that we would chase after you because you are the only thing that can heal those areas in our lives, Lord. I just pray that you would move in this room in a supernatural way, bringing healing to the heart and the mind of every individual, Lord. I just thank you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Many, many, many.